Good morning. It is Kale and Company live for a <clears throat> Black Monday. Not Black and Gold Monday, just a Black Monday if you're a fan of the Boston Bruins and who within the sound of my voice is not. Well, there may be one or two, but not very many. And the unthinkable happened last night, in case uh, you have not heard already. Kind of hate to wake you up with that news this morning, but I'm sure if you have uh, uh, any care about the, the Boston Bruins, you know what happened last night. And we will get into that in just a couple of minutes. Kale and Company Live, presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Northeast Delta Dental has individual and family plans designed to fit your lifestyle. Learn more and find your plan at DeltaDentalCoversMe.com. Yesterday, uh, the afternoon was great. Had a chance to go to the uh, beautiful Rex Theater in downtown Manchester and see our good friend uh, Scott Spradling and his band performing uh, uh, to a, a packed house at the uh, at the Rex Theater. And uh, they played for about a little over two hours, and it was just a, a terrific show at the Rex. Anytime you have a chance to see uh, Scott and his band, I would highly recommend it. And uh, they did not disappoint yesterday. They were terrific. So, getting to the uh, the crux of the matter, when the uh, Boston Bruins opened their Stanley Cup playoff run, remember, it was two weeks ago, right? Two weeks ago today, Marathon Monday. And we all thought, if you were a Bruins fan anyway, we all thought we were going to be treated to a hockey marathon on Marathon Monday. Four rounds of amazing nail-biting hockey extending until the middle of June. Instead, the Bees never made it to May. They were eliminated in seven games Sunday evening by what we all felt, we all felt, was a vastly inferior team, the Florida Panthers. And why wouldn't we have a right to think that way, that they were vastly inferior Bruins had the best, I want to repeat this, the best regular season in National Hockey League history, a history that goes back well over 100 years, a record 65 wins, just 12 regulation losses, and five overtime or shootout losses. In Florida, a rather, rather pedestrian, 42-32-8. and eight. And we felt it was even more pedestrian when a less, I would say, a less than stellar uh, Bruins effort over the first four games of this series gave Boston a three games to one series lead. That was after a six to two win a week ago yesterday. We all thought the Panthers were very soon headed to a golf course of their choice. Little did we know. Little did we know at that time, a week ago Sunday, that that would be the last hurrah of the playoffs for the Boston Bruins as the Panthers went on to win an unspeakable, unspeakable three straight games over the record-breaking and now heartbreaking Bruins. 
Now, the downfall really began last Wednesday in overtime when the NHL's best regular season goalie, Linus Ulmark, turned the puck over behind his net, which led to the game-winning goal for the Panthers in a 4-3 overtime Boston loss. So, it was on to Sunrise, Florida, as the Panthers extended the series to a Friday night, trailing three games to two. Ulmark and the Bees allowed seven goals in that one, albeit one was an empty netter. And that forced Sunday night's game seven with Jeremy Swayman out of the University of Maine between the pipes for Boston. And the Bees got behind two to nothing. And it stayed that way until the second period when David Krejci made it two to one in favor of Florida. And you had a glimmer of hope at that point. Todd Bertuzzi, what a series he had. Todd Bertuzzi, a trade deadline acquisition from the Detroit Red Wings, uh, tied it up as he redirected a shot by Dmitry Orloff past the uh, Florida goaltender, Sergei Bobrovsky. And uh, Orloff, by the way, was a trade deadline pickup from Washington, the front office at the trading deadline, did a remarkable job for the Bruins, picking up Todd Bertuzzi from Detroit and uh, Dmitry Orloff and uh, Garnett Hathaway from the Washington Capitals. Bees took the lead last night when David Pasternak, who had over 60 goals in the regular season, found the back of the net with just under 16 minutes to go in regulation. And it would stay 3-2. to two. 3-2 to two Boston, until the Panthers pulled their goaltender, the aforementioned Sergei Bobrovsky, with about two minutes to go in regulation. Panthers had an extra attacker on the ice. The net was empty in the Florida zone. When with just under a minute to go, Florida did the unthinkable and tied the game at 3-3 with just a shade under a minute to go. In regulation, Panthers would then dominate the overtime period when Toronto native Carter Verhage of Florida went top shelf from the faceoff circle, beating Jeremy Swayman and allowing the Panthers to go to Verhage's hometown of Toronto tomorrow night. For the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs, a 4-3 to overtime setback for the Bruins in Game 7, turning the greatest regular season in NHL history for the Bruins into a first-round disaster. You can call it nothing short of a disaster. Second time. All year that the Bees had lost three in a row. The other time was when, you know, you hardly noticed. Late January, January 26th to the 29th, they lost three in a row, all on the road. And ironically enough, the middle loss in those three games of that streak was a 4-3 to overtime setback, you guessed it, to the Florida Panthers in Sunrise, Florida in a preview, a foreshadowing, if you will, of what was to happen twice in the Bruins' all-too-abbreviated 
playoff run. So it's over. Bruins didn't make it till May. We thought they'd be in action until mid-June. You might see them out on the uh, Concord Country Club course today. Probably not. The weather's not all that great. I'm drowning my uh, sorrows this morning in Aroma Joe's coffee. Thanks to Cat. But uh, it, it was nothing that we expected. Everybody said, oh, you know, I, I might be a gentleman's sweep, meaning five games instead of four, a regular sweep. Gentleman's sweep is uh, winning a series four games to one. That's a gentleman's sweep, as they say. Well, <laughs> I, 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 I'm lost for words. Did the Bruins put too much emphasis on the regular season? Maybe so. Maybe they wanted to shatter all these records. The most wins. Best record ever. But the teams that they beat out for those bragging rights, best team ever in the NHL, they had never gone on to win the Stanley Cup. And the Bruins followed suit, unfortunately. Bruins won the President's Trophy. That seems to be a curse in the National Hockey League. The President's Trophy goes to the team that had the best regular season record. And very rarely, it is a rarity, that the team with the best regular season in the National Hockey League goes on to win Lord Stanley Cup. Bruins won't win the Stanley Cup this year, nor will the defending Stanley Cup champions. The Colorado Avalanche lost their seventh game at home last night. Bruins weren't the only ones. Colorado, the Avalanche, lost in overtime to the upstart Seattle Kraken. Two to one. Wasn't in overtime, but it was game seven. Seattle never trailed in that game. So two major upsets last night in the National Hockey League. Have a guest coming up. At 8.30 this morning, Nate Hilger is his name. His book, The Parent Trap. Not the old, I think it was a Haley Mills movie, if I'm not mistaken. Back in the day. How to Stop Overloading Parents and Fix Our Inequality Crisis. That's the name of the book. And he'll be with us just after 8.30 this morning. Right here, it is Kale and Company, or WKXL. NHTalkRadio.com, presented by... Northeast Delta Dental. We will be right back. It is Kale and Company live here on WKXL. NHTalkRadio.com. We're at 103.9 FM in Concord. In the entire capital region, we have you covered. Manchester and beyond at 101.9 on the FM dial. We have our reliable signal for many, many years. About 77 years, to be precise. 1450 on the AM dial, WKXL. And, of course, streaming around the world and around the clock at nhtalkradio.com. All presented by our good friends at Northeast Delta Dental. And, uh, well, I guess we can all just focus now on the uh, Red Sox and Celtics. If you're a New England sports fan. 
The Celtics will open up their second-round series tonight against the Philadelphia 76ers, one of the Celtics' uh, oldest and fiercest rivals, the 76ers, coached by uh, former Celtics bench boss Doc Rivers, formidable team Joel Embiid, James Harden, the beard as he's known. Good chance that Embiid will not be playing tonight because of a bad knee. So we'll see. It has not been determined yet if for sure that he will miss the game. Uh, But there's a good chance. I heard uh, earlier this morning that uh, Embiid will not be playing for the 76ers tonight when they uh, take on the Celtics at the TD Garden. So that's game one of that series. Best of seven Celtics uh, getting by Atlanta on uh, Friday night, advancing to the second round. You know, we saw a number eight seed in the Stanley Cup playoffs, the Florida Panthers, and I I hate to even bring it up. I mean, uh, we're all suffering this morning as a result of what happened last night at the TD Garden. Number eight seed, Florida in the East, knocking off the number one seed in hockey, the Boston Bruins. And we saw it a few days earlier in the NBA. When the number eight seed in the East, the Miami Heat, defeated the top seed in the East, the Milwaukee Bucks. I was happy to see that one. Happy to get Giannis Antetokounmpo and the Bucks out of the playoffs. I, I don't know if I would be happy to see the Celtics against Miami either because you never know when Jimmy Butler is going to go off for 50 points. But at any rate, Milwaukee's gone, top seed. Miami's still in. They beat the Knicks yesterday in the first game of uh, that series. But you wonder sometimes. The Milwaukee Bucks took the regular season very seriously and came away with the best record in the NBA, top seed. They would have had the home court advantage in every series. Now the Celtics do because the Celtics had the second best record in the NBA. But do you feel sometimes there are some teams that take the regular season seriously and others that don't take it very seriously and still wind up in the postseason because there are so many teams uh, in the postseason uh, these days. You know, 16 from the NBA, 16 from the NHL. So Milwaukee top seed knocked out by Miami. There are two teams that did not take the regular season. If I could single out two teams in the NBA that did not take the regular season very seriously, they would be specifically the Los Angeles Lakers, led by LeBron James, and the defending NBA champion Golden State Warriors. And where are they now? They're in the second round of the playoffs, facing each other. It's going to be a fun series to watch. Steph Curry against LeBron James. Good for ratings. No doubt about that. That's a marquee matchup in the second round. Arch rivals, Lakers, Warriors, all California matchup. The NBA, well, they got what they wanted, right? And so did the Lakers and the Warriors. They made it to the second round without taking the regular season very seriously. And neither one of those teams did. 
And they're there in the second round. Golden State eliminated uh, Sacramento in Sacramento in a seventh game yesterday by 20 points, 120 to 100. Steph Curry, a record-setting performance for a game seven. 55-0 points yesterday for Steph Curry. Amazing player. Amazing career. And now... It's Kareem, uh, Kareem, Kareem's old team, the Lakers, now LeBron's team, the L.A. Lakers, taking on the defending, the defending NBA champion Golden State Warriors, who in the regular season finished a very pedestrian 44-38. and 38. And the Lakers' record was worse than that. Lakers barely made it into the playoffs. They had to go into the play-in round to make it into the postseason. So those are two teams loaded with talent, loaded with talent that did not take the regular season very seriously. They played well enough to get into the postseason, and now they're starting to turn it on in the postseason. Bruins, they took the regular season very seriously. Some might say now, in retrospect, too seriously. Milwaukee Bucks in the NBA, same story. Maybe they should have rested Giannis more. Their their all-star center, Giannis Antetokounmpo, who is arguably the best player in the game. But really, was when he played, only a shadow of himself in that opening round series that the Bucks lost to Miami. With so many opportunities now to make the postseason in both the NHL and the NBA, and you know, it's been this way for quite some time. It's no, no newsflash. But there are some teams that might have a tendency to take the regular season a little bit too seriously. And some, uh, you know, don't take it uh, as seriously as probably their fans think they should but still wind up where they eventually want to be in the postseason. It's a quandary. I mean, it really is. There's this load management thing in the NBA now, and there are very few superstars that actually play uh, as many as three-quarters of the games during the course of the regular season. One of those players that did and toughed it out most of the season was Giannis Antetokounmpo of the Milwaukee Bucks. He toughed it out. He doesn't like to miss games. And yet, when his team needed him the most physically, he wasn't the dominating player that he usually is. And as a result, Milwaukee, top record in the NBA, was eliminated in the first round. It is a quandary. I mean, it really is. You want to see your team win as many games as possible in the regular season. Have the best record. Have the home court in every series. But at what price? At what price? It'll be a quandary forever, folks. There is no real answer to that question. There's no answer to that question. Teams will do what they what they feel necessary. 
And that's the way it will be. Fans want to see their team win every single game, no matter what it is, what time of the year it is, whether it be in October or June. They want to see their team win every single game. It's not going to happen, but some teams put forth more effort in the regular season than others. Boston Red Sox, hey, they don't have a bundle of pitching. Chris Sale did well yesterday. Pitched six and a third innings against the Cleveland Guardians. I'll never get used to saying that name. Cleveland Guardians, 7-1 the Red Sox won yesterday. Alex Verdugo, Connor Wong hit home runs. Red Sox took the uh, series from the uh, Guardians. Two games to one, and we'll open a series, very interesting series tonight at Fenway against the Toronto Blue Jays. By the way, if you haven't looked, the Red Sox and the much ballyhooed New York Yankees right now have exactly the same record, 15 and 14, battling for the basement in the American League East, although if they were in any other division, they'd be one or two games out of first place. The American League East is the best division in baseball. There's no doubt about that. All right. We'll take a break. We'll get to the serious stuff after this uh, brief respite, and we'll chat with author Nate Hilger, author of The Parent Trap, How to Stop Overloading Parents and Fix Our Inequality Crisis. We'll find find out all about that right after these words. Kale and Company. WKXL NHTalkRadio.com presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Welcome back. Kale and Company live here for a Monday. A delight to have you with us on WKXL NHTalkRadio.com presented by Northeast Delta Dental. And joining us now is uh, an author by the name of and, and Nate apologized. Nate Hilger or Hilger? Hilger. Nate Hilger is with us and uh, glad that he is on this Monday morning. So I'll stop talking about the Bruins loss last night. Uh, Nate's work on the uh, origins of success in children has been featured in the New York Times, Washington Post, The Atlantic, and other publications. And uh, his latest effort is called The Parent Trap. How to Stop Overloading Parents and Fix Our Inequality Crisis. Nate, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Ken. It's a pleasure to be here. Great to have you with us. So what is that trap that today's uh, parents are in? So the, the first biggest trap is that we, without quite realizing it, we're placing these overwhelmingly unrealistic expectations on parents to build all the the wide range of skills that kids are going to need to, to thrive as adults in our society. We think that our public schools are doing it, but public school only takes up about 10% of all the hours that kids have available in childhood to build skills. The other 90% are really the responsibility of parents. And there's, as I describe in the book, there's just too much involved in effective skill building to expect most parents to really succeed at that effort. But there's another trap, Ken, which is that there's not really any clear way to talk about this, because as I describe in the book, just confronting this problem puts everybody on edge, makes everybody feel threatened and uncomfortable, as if parents are being accused of failure. And I think when you can't talk about a problem, that means you can't really 
solved it effectively. So I think that's another kind of trap as well. And the last trap that I mentioned in the book is a political trap, that parents do not have the kind of unified bipartisan political voice that elderly people, for example, have through the American Association of Retired People. And we really need that kind of voice to get the support that we would need to address our child development needs. Yeah, no doubt. They are a, a powerful uh, pack, aren't they? The uh, AARP, for sure. Uh, you know, what, uh, how, how do we wind up, uh, Nate, where we are today? Well, it's, it's not that something dramatic has changed. It's always been a problem. You know, kids are the biggest disenfranchised group in our society. They can't vote. And when groups can't vote, we know from historical experience they don't get the kind of support from our democratic government that they really need to to reach their potential. So, you know, it used to be that women couldn't vote. They didn't get served by our government. It used to be that lower-income people couldn't vote. They didn't get served by our government. It used to be that black people in many states effectively couldn't vote, and they certainly didn't get served effectively by our government. So the fact that kids don't vote should really be a red flag that shouts to all of us, uh-oh, this group is probably not getting a lot of the support that they would really that would really benefit them and help them grow up and contribute fully. You know, f- fortunately, I, I have two daughters and uh, both of them now in their 30s. Uh, back when uh, we were raising them, uh, things seemed a, a lot simpler uh, than they than they are right now. Is it possible for parents to develop some of these uh, skills, parenting skills on their own, or do they have to go somewhere to get them? Yes, absolutely. Parents are doing their best under tough circumstances, as they always have and always will do. And, um, you know, parents, you know, they try to find the best early education systems that they can identify and afford. You know, they try to keep track of their children's academic achievement through these confusing, uh, you know, test score results, you know, summaries that they get sent home with. They they try to talk to their teachers occasionally. They, They try to look at their kids' report cards. And then they try to, you know, find a tutor in the market if their kid is struggling, or they, they try to find a, an effective extracurricular activity program outside of school, be it science or music or sports, and set their kids up for success, you know, in all these big gaps on their own, on their own budget, in their spare time. But I think a lot of parents struggle to do it effectively, and it's exhausting, and it distracts parents from what they're really great at, which is caring about kids. And being, you know, being their, their advocate, being there when their kid is having is sick or their, their boyfriend or girlfriend broke up with them or just wants to relax and have fun, that's where parents can really contribute in a way that nobody else in the world can. And um, so, yeah, there's lots of stuff parents can do on their own. It's just not going to be – it's going to greatly disadvantage lower income and, and less educated groups on average, and it's going to make everybody exhausted. Are there some parents out, out there, Nate, that expect a little bit too much, uh, you know, from their kids? You know, like they have to, you know, keep up with the neighbors and uh, be involved in, in all sorts of things. Are there uh, some parents that are just too demanding of their children? I mean, it's a big country. There are like 60 million parents and there's going to be every we're going to see everything in such a large group. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm sure. I mean, we all know from common sense experience, we know people like this who who drive their kids crazy, you know, by filling every spare second of their life with some kind of activity, you know, forcing them to do all kinds of things that the kid is not necessarily at all interested in. Um, mental health is a real is a real thing, you know, mm-hmm. and striking that balance is not easy. 
all kinds of parents who, who really love their, a lot of the parents who fall into the kinds of problems that you're talking about, of course, they, they're doing it because they're, they love their kids and they want their kid to succeed. But um, balancing, you know, a kid's need for relaxation and rest and fun with the genuine need to help kids fight through sometimes their short-term interests in favor of their longer-term interests, that's a really hard balance to strike. Oh, no question. Uh, in your book, The Parent Trap, you suggest that uh, parents uh, having more political power could be a part of the solution anyway, as you uh, mentioned just a moment ago. Uh, tell us tell us more about that. How, how are politics involved? Well, we were talking about how kids are the biggest disenfranchised group in, in the country. Right. Their closest thing to a representative is their parents. And right now, parents vote less than other groups on average because they tend to be younger, they tend to be lower income, they're earlier in their careers, they're moving around more, which means we, we place this burden of registering on them constantly, and they're, and they're freakishly busy. So every time we put up additional hurdles, things that might seem innocuous, like you know a little extra paperwork, a little extra identification you need to bring with you, all these things will burden parents disproportionately. I think what really would benefit parents like I mentioned, is a, a more unified interest group kind of uh, to represent their interests. So people over 65 have the American Association of Retired People. Parents don't have anything like that. They, they are balkanized into thousands of different small local interest groups. Many of these interest groups have kind of implicit um, liberal or conservative uh, signatures, and that really works against the interests of parents. You know, can you imagine if elderly people... You know, they, if they focused on their disagreements over, you know, the role of religion in end-of-life care, and that, mean, that meant they forgot to agree and fight for Social Security and Medicare. Mm. That's kind of the position that parents are in today, and it's not serving us well. Right. So uh, you're, you're even proposing, as, as you mentioned before, perhaps a, an AARP type of organization uh, for parents. How, how would that look? What do, what do you... Uh you know, foresee if, uh, if, if, if you could have uh, that, sort of, that sort of union of that uh, parents could depend on. Yeah. So there would be a really clear vision for an organization like this. They would begin recruiting parents, not when kids enter the public school system at kindergarten, but, you know, before parents even have their babies. It would probably partner with OBGYNs and pediatricians, and it would use online advertising to, you know, target parents who have bought, who, who buy bottles or diapers or car seats. And it would start recruit just like the AARP casts a very wide net and recruits everybody in America over the age. I think now they've lowered the bar to 50 or maybe even anybody can join. This organization would reach out to people and it would offer discounts on things that they want to buy anyway. So the AARP, people join it not because they have some strong ideological idea about how the world should look. They, they often join it because they want a discount on, on health insurance or they want a discount on computers or vacation. Mm-hmm. And that kind of pocket pocketbook strategy, I think, would serve an organization like this really well. It would also develop other revenue sources to fund its advocacy for parents, such as selling life insurance. You know, it, it, if sure. it built up a good brand and reputation, it could use that to, to sell um, high-quality life insurance plans to participants. And this program, this organization would re- have to remain very rigorously bipartisan. It wouldn't be able to fight for every issue. It wouldn't necessarily focus on partisan things like abortion or 
um, some of the, the certain aspects of the gun rights debate or certainly wouldn't focus on the role of religion or, or um, race in pedagogy. It would focus on big ticket things that help all families, such as access to child care, after school programs and summer programs. Well, Nate, we have more to talk about. Can you hang on for a couple of minutes? I have to take a quick break here. And uh, Nate Hilger is with us. He's the author of The Parent Trap, How to Stop Overloading Parents and Fix Our Inequality Crisis. And we'll talk a little bit about the inequality uh, in uh, in parenting when we return with uh, Nate Hilger right here on Kale & Company Live, presented by Northeast Delta Dental on WKXL and nhtalkradio.com. We'll be right back. Kale and Company live here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com, presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Our guest is Nate Hilger. Nate is the author of a new book called The Parent Trap, not to be confused with the, the, the movies of the same name. The Parent Trap, How to Stop Overloading Parents and Fix Our Inequality Crisis. And uh, Nate, thanks for staying with us. In, in what way is all of this uh, an issue of racial uh, equality or inequality? Oh, wow. Well, I think a big part of racial inequality is class. Uh, you know, people who have had fewer opportunities in this country historically, um, they tend to be lower income today. And a big part of what the policies that I'm proposing in the book would do is they would equalize opportunity for children across um, class by, by empowering parents to access more trusted local professionals, such as tutors, counselors, and coaches and nurses. Um, so I think the kind of large-scale increase in our investments in children that, that I, I call them family care in the book, they would help lower-income kids and Black and Hispanic and Native American kids reach adulthood on a much more level playing field with white and upper middle class and affluent kids. Well, you see our, our parenting crisis. Now, this is, uh, I'm going to ask this question. Uh, you, you see our, our parenting crisis as an issue that could unite Democrats and Republicans. That, that would be a, a major step in the right direction. How so? Well, a lot of the programs that would really benefit parents and kids by, by helping all parents access high-quality early learning opportunities, after-school programs, summer programs, and early career programs that help kids get set up for college and vocational training and um, career formation. One of the big things that this would do is it would reduce poverty. A lot of kids would grow up with the skills they need to, to earn a good living. And it would increase marriage because the biggest determinant of marriage is your educational attainment. It would reduce reliance on um, government programs such as welfare and, and food stamps and unemployment insurance. You know, it would, it would do all these things that Republicans really value. It would reduce crime, you know, because one of the biggest determinants of crime is, you know, if people have better career opportunities than crime, they're not interested in crime. It's a very bad career. Um, so one of the biggest things that these programs would do is, is further a lot of these conservative goals to, to increase work participation, increase marriage, increase two-parent families, reduce crime. And I think one way to think about it is that a bigger government for kids in terms of just funding these programs so that parents can make their own choices in a more empowered way, a bigger government for kids might be the best way to achieve a smaller government for adults. 
And I think that kind of that kind of force is something that could appeal to a wide range of conservatives as well as progressives and, and liberals. So what do you make of the uh, Congressional Dads Caucus, which was just uh, established a couple of months ago? I, I love it. I think it's a great development. I hope some Republicans join it. You know, it seems like really consistent with a lot of what Republicans talk about to value dads and to think about how they can collaborate with their Democratic colleagues on furthering their interests of parents all over the country. I actually sent a copy of the book personally to everybody in that caucus um, because I think it, it, the book really outlines a way that we can empower parents and get them what they need to, to help their kids um, reach adulthood on their own two feet, ready to, ready to earn and contribute and succeed. So I think it's a great development, and I hope we see more of that. Well, what is the mission of the Congressional Dads Caucus? I think they're just trying to highlight the issues of dads. They claim that they are you know, lobbying for, for the interest of dads in terms of policy. Um, I, I think that's great, yeah. I mean, there are, there are, they're following in the footsteps of mothers' caucuses. Um, and this is a well-defined group, parents. They have specific needs that other groups don't necessarily have. So they will have their finger on the pulse of the child care industry much better than a bunch of people who are grandparents or great-grandparents and don't have that problem sitting right in front of them every day. Mm-hmm. So are, are the issues you're talking about in your book, The Parent Rep, about mainly uh, low-income people, or do the uh, middle and upper classes and, and, and those more well-educated parents uh, also have a stake in this as well? Everybody has a stake in this. It's not just lower-income folks, although they will stand to benefit in some big direct ways from the policies I'm advocating. One example uh, is research. We don't conduct nearly enough research on kids. You know, if you, if you take seriously the labor that parents put into raising kids, child development is the biggest industry in our economy. It, it has about a $5 trillion footprint. And that's, an industry like that would normally spend, you know, $100 billion a year on research to improve efficiency and innovate over time. We spend only a few billion dollars a year on research to improve child development. And that means we're not, an- we're not getting answers to the kinds of questions or building the kinds of technologies that would help parents do their jobs easier and better over time. And that, will, that benefits everybody. You know, the, these are discoveries such as how kids can avoid these dangerous peanut allergies early in life. We didn't know the answer to that until there was rigorous research conducted that mm-hmm. showed kids should eat peanuts early in their life rather than avoid them. There's tons of, there are tons of questions like that that affect all parents and all kids. No, no doubt about that. And, and Nate, you, you seem to be extremely uh, passionate about, about this topic. Is it, is it personal for you? It is a little bit personal. You know, I, I have a very diverse family, and I was fortunate to grow up with a very diverse set of friends in terms of what kinds of economic backgrounds they came from, what, kind of, what kinds of opportunities were available to them outside of school. And I mean, I grew up in Orange County, California, so that's why it was so diverse. It's a very diverse place. Mm-hmm. And going home and having dinner with my, my friends in school, I would see that some of them were getting these very advanced, helpful opportunities outside of the, the classroom. They would get, you know, teach, they would get tutoring. They would get um, counseling if they were going through some emotional problems. They would get private coaching to improve their sports skills and to build their confidence and identity. And these were expensive, time-consuming, complicated opportunities that their parents secured for them or provided directly. You know, I had friends who were tutoring their own kids because they just loved the subject and they had PhDs or 
or graduate degrees in the, in the subject. Other friends, you know, their parents had a lot of uh, problems and distractions. They were doing their best, but, you know, they, they had substance abuse problems. They had um, weaker opportunities in their own careers, less money, less time. And I was just fascinated by this, and I wanted to understand it. So in graduate school, that, that's where I, I really put my, put my energy into understanding the long-term implications of these issues. And what I found was just astounding to me. It just seems like we could make our country so much better by investing in bigger education and healthcare opportunities for all kids. And I want to see that happen. Oh, absolutely. I think we all do. And uh, how did you wind up on the East Coast? West Coast guy, how did you wind up uh, here in the East? Well, I, I love California. I spent my whole childhood in California, and I, but I wound up getting, um, I worked at the Federal Reserve for a couple of years after school, and then I wound up getting a great opportunity to go to graduate school at Harvard, and I couldn't turn that down, so I stayed out there for a while, mm-hmm. and then I, I got a great opportunity to teach at Brown University, so that kept me there, and then um, when I, then I, I made a big move back to California and I'm, I live there with my wife and, and kid now, and we're, we're really happy out here despite huh. the agreed, the egregious housing prices. Yeah, <laughs> I have no, no doubt, uh, about that. We, we've heard a lot about that. Well, what are you working on right now? Right now? Well, the paperback of this book just came out and this, this was a really long-term project for me. So I'm, I'm talking to folks like you and trying to get the word out on the book and, um, trying to make sure people are aware that it exists. It's a very competitive market out there, as you know. No no doubt about it. And Nate, appreciate your time this morning. I know you had to get up early to do this, so we appreciate it. <laughs> I really appreciate the opportunity to, to share the book with you. Thank you again for the opportunity. No, no problem. We appreciate you being on. Thanks, Nate. Take care. Thank you. Nate Hilger, our guest, author of The Parent Trap, How to Stop Overloading Parents, and fix our inequality crisis. And uh, if uh, you're a parent, you'll uh, want to take a look at it. And uh, you can uh, find it wherever uh, books are sold. Again, the author is Nate Hilger, H-I-L-G-E-R. Well, you can tell by the music. That's our traveling music. We have to mosey on out of here. Hey, tomorrow, first Tuesday of the month, Happy May to everybody. This is May Day. It's our May Day extravaganza here on uh, Kale & Company. But tomorrow, on the 2nd of May, it is going to be our weekly, or I should say our monthly session with the New Hampshire Insurance Department. And we'll be talking with Property and Casualty Director James Fox. And he is going to talk about delivery drivers and teen drivers so you'll want to tune in tomorrow once again uh, just a little after 805 for kale and company live on wkxl nh talk radio presented by northeast delta dental and if you would like to hear this program again or if you miss some of it tune in just after seven o'clock tonight here on WKXL, 1039 in the Capital Region, 1019 in Manchester and beyond, 1450 on the AM dial, and streaming live around the clock at nhtalkradio.com. Have a great Monday, everybody. Thanks for listening. <laughs>